Well, uh, my given name is Sidhanshu Jain, and uh, I'm an electrical engineer. I retired from high tech about 12 years ago to devote myself to climate change full time. This is a very interesting situation in that um, the group that did this work did it uh, basically unaffiliated with any organization. We are self-funded. We're not mercenaries. Uh, we haven't been paid at all. Uh, we're not renegades. We're not, ren we're not renegades in any sense of the word. Uh, what happened was um, in about 2009, a group of people were assembled to look at um, uh, this concept of uh, marine cloud brightening. And Armand Nukermans, who leads this group, uh, he's an expert in uh, creating small particles, having worked on inkjet printers and laser printers. So he was enlisted and uh, um, so since then, we've tried many different techniques. I joined the group. He started in uh, basically early 2010. I joined the group as a volunteer uh, in 2012 and have been working on this project. I met Armand at a uh, fundraiser and he explained what he was working on. He said, come by the lab. And so I've been stuck there for nine years now. So there's a group of at Harvard that has been uh, looking at stratospheric aerosol injections, and their original target was to use sulfur, which basically mimics what volcanoes do by emitting you know millions of tons of sulfur into the stratosphere, which then causes causes global cooling for about two years. So the issue with injecting sulfur in the stratosphere is that there's, uh, I guess, pretty good evidence that it does decrease ozone. And so they were looking at other particles. They looked at diamonds and they settled on calcium carbonate. And calcium carbonate is pretty benign. It's uh, actually used by the industry in food to put in, in our food. So, um, and it's limestone, calcite, and it's uh, generated in the, you know, millions of pounds every year for various um, research and, uh, and industrial purposes. So um, you can create fairly small particles by precipitating it out of uh, a solution. And so there's a company that we, um, we're using, Specialty Minerals, in Massachusetts that creates a product called Albafil. Albafil is the trade name or the product that, that Specialty Mineral sells, which is this precipitated calcium carbonate. I don't really know what they use it for. We just acquired um, some of their, you know, basically uh, a sample of their material. Um, they use, I'm sure they create it in, you know, thousands of pounds. We only got maybe a kilogram of the material.
Uh, it's a material that was kind of selected by the Harvard team as being more benign than sulfur or sulfates that they would have used for scattering light for this, um, you know, concept of cooling the earth, uh, you know, as it's heating up due to CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere. I think some evidence that says that putting sulfur there would degrade uh, ozone. Sulfur is probably the best substance to use simply because we know what it does there. You know, the volcanoes put millions of tons in the stratosphere and hasn't destroyed the planet yet. So mm, I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't say that it's particularly better. What, what's the critical um, element is the size of the particles. If the particles are the right size, uh, we estimate about 200 nanometers, then it will scatter sunlight at the wavelengths that sunlight um, hits the earth. And if the particles are too large, then actually it will prevent long wave radiation, infrared, from uh, um, being emitted from the earth. So it will trap the IR. You're correct. So if the particles are too large, then um, that's a problem. So it's the particle size that's probably the most critical. But of course, you're looking for, well, it has to have a fairly large um, uh, index of refraction. So I'll have to admit that I'm not a physicist. I'm an electrical engineer that got employed by this. So I can't actually tell you what the physics behind the index of refraction is for various materials. The title is Methods for Dispersal of Precipitated Calcium Carbonate for Stratospheric Aerosol Injection. I mean, I think fundamentally, uh, um, you know, we learned that um, this group at Harvard ha was looking at precipitated calcium carbonate, but the big problem was it sticks together. The particles just stick together, agglomerated. And so the hard part is how do you separate them into these tiny little... So, it you know, you can look at different particles and what different particles cling together. And in the paper, we talk about four different categories of uh, sort of stickiness of particles. And this calcium carbonate happens to be in um, category C, which is very difficult to separate. It takes fairly high shear forces. So um, we have been researching how to create very fine particles for what's called marine cloud brightening um, from the beginning, from you know early 2010. I, I'm saying this project here, the precipitated calcium carbonate, is a side project for us. It's not our main focus of what we've been working on. So for whatever, 11, 12 years, we've been working on creating very small particles at, that would be cloud condensation nuclei that would make clouds brighter and reflect su sunlight back into space. And these are low-level clouds, you know, about a thousand meters. So that's our main focus of our team. But um, at one point, we were kind of stuck looking for some funding for our project. And so we took on this side project. They, they assume that you have these small particles up there and uh, they're not specialists in creating those small particles. They're specialists in 
you know, figuring out how much energy is reflected back into space, how the particles uh, react over time. Uh, their, their focus was never to figure out how to create these particles from um, this clump. So we just sort of took on this project um, um, while we were waiting for some funding. And uh, I think we were fairly successful in, in two different methods for uh, sort of declumping these particles and separating them out into the, you know, the size that they were precipitated out as. Yeah, so I think the thing is that uh, we, we had this technique that, that I think we were pretty successful at creating small particles. The, the marine cloud brightening work that we do takes seawater, uh, filtered seawater, and then sprays it through a two-fluid two nozzle um, using uh, um, basically the seawater and then air. It's like a snowmaker. Um, what we do is we have a nozzle that has two ports on it. And so uh, we flow air and water into the nozzle from the two ports. And uh, we have this sort of conical design where the water uh, is sort of sprayed tangentially into this cone. And so it, it has some uh, centrifugal energy around it. And it, as the nozzle narrows, it gets faster and faster, and then the air goes through the center. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to spread the water out into a very thin sheet. And then that, that sheet exits the nozzle in choked flow. And so as soon as it hits the air, and we, we operate between 30 and 60 bar for, um, for this nozzle. And so this thin film, when it hits you know, basically atmospheric pressure, it explodes out and the, um, the sheet forms into little thin filaments that break up. And so we get about, you know, dry salt particles of about 70 nanometers from, from this process. So we thought we would use that technique to um, separate out these particles. And what we thought we would do is fluidize these calcium carbonate um, clumps into just a fluid, and then we'd use high air pressure then to create the shear forces that separate them out. It's air. We fluidize it in air. So we have two techniques. The second technique was that we actually did suspend it in liquid CO2. But uh, the first technique is we'd basically take this clump of calcium carbonate and we put it in a little chamber with a porous bottom and we flow air from the bottom through it. And so that basically creates this sort of fluid of uh, these sort of small clumps of calcium carbonate and air. And we put that through one port of our nozzle and then we put high pressure air through the other port of the nozzle. And uh, so we thought that that would be the technique. We'd use basically our marine cloud brightening technique to, to, to you know, declumpify these, these, um, this calcium carbonate. So uh, we tried that and our nozzle is about um, 200 microns and it, it clogged right away. So um, we, uh, 
we sort of looked around for maybe a bigger nozzle and we, we settled on this German company nozzle Schlick. And so we're using their nozzle, which is a two millimeter orifice. And uh, the interesting thing about it is that um, there's a constriction um, that creates a venturi. So we actually have negative pressure on the port for the uh, for the fluidized calcium carbonate. So what we do is we basically stick the hose in this fluidized calcium carbonate and it sucks sucks out the the uh, fluid the um, fluidized calcium carbonate into this nozzle. So when we did that, uh, the thing that we've struggled with for about twelve years is how to measure particles. And uh, quite a bit of the paper is focused around measuring the particles because we got um, the data from the company that manufactures this and they said that the mode of the mass of the particles is about 0.7 microns. And uh, we use various techniques to measure the the particles. When we looked at it, we were a little suspicious about how they measured their particles. So we wanted to characterize their material that we got. So we actually put it through a flow cytometer. And uh, in the flow cytometer, we also had these polystyrene spheres that had fluorescent markers on them. So in the paper, you can see the, the results of that. And um, so the flow cytometer gave us um, uh, sort of a, a, a particle size of 1.4 microns for the mode of the mass, whereas the manufacturer had uh, a mode of the mass at 0.7 uh, microns. It seemed to be in the flow cytometer, so we thought, you know, maybe these particles are still stuck together. So we basically put them through an ultrasonic bath and tried to separate out the particles and then ran the flow cytometer again and we still got 1.4 microns. The problem is that if you take the stuff and you just spoon it out of the thing, they're all clumped together. So when you look at them under a microscope, you don't really see what they are. So, And the flow cytometer actually does the separation um, inherently. So, um, so then what we did was, uh, so we assume that the particles are somewhere between the mode of them um, is uh, at 0.7 microns to 1.4 microns. But then we don't know, you know, that's the mass. And the thing that we've discovered is that um, we want much smaller particles than that. We want particles under 200 nanometers. And so when you look at particles, you really want the number at a certain diameter. The, the issue is that uh, when you have a lot of, you know, hundreds or thousands of very small particles, their mass isn't very much. So when you're plotting mass, um, you may have a huge number of tiny particles in the range that you want, and just a few particle, large particles with large mass, but they count a lot more when you're plotting mass. So we didn't know if the, the curve from the manufacturer um, sort of started at, it was sort of a normal distribution where you basically have very small 
numbers of very small particles and then it goes up and peaks at some value, or whether it was a function that just continued to rise as you got to smaller and smaller particles. We had to try to characterize that. And so the flow cytometer showed that it actually is, uh, uh, continues to rise as you get to smaller and smaller particles. So we do have huge numbers of very small particles, but you know, that doesn't show in the mass um, plots. I wanna finish with the uh, two fluid flow. So what we do is we spray um, this fluidized calcium carbonate with uh, air. Um, and we ran that at about 80 PSI. So because you have a Venturi, you basically have a Bernoulli um, suction that, that then um, provides a negative pressure that then sucks the, the fluidized calcium carbonate um, into the nozzle. What happens then is that it comes out of the nozzle uh, in a spray that you can see. So uh, we, we have these two um, devices. One is an optical particle measuring system called POPS. It's basically a 3D printed, very low cost uh, thing developed at NOAA in Colorado. So uh, that's an optical particle measurement device. And then we have this um, very accurate, well-known device um, called a mobility sizer. It's a TSI SMPS model 3080. And uh, it puts a charge on particles and then draws them through an electric field and then sizes particles that way. And so um, the, the issue there is the SMPS has a range of 14 nanometers to 300, sorry, 735 nanometers. So it's, it's not gonna catch the, you know, a lot of our particles because, you know, we're talking about the mode being at 1.2 microns. So um, twice as, so the POPs though has a, a range of 140 nanometers to three microns. So, so then there was an issue of the POPs is this pretty low cost device and it has a different, you know, physics technique for measuring particle sizes. It looks at scattering of light. Um, and so we wanted to calibrate that. And, you know, the, the issue is that um, an optical sensor relies on the index of refraction of the material, but calcite is actually birefringent. It has uh, ordinary and extra extraordinary modes. So it has two different indices of refraction. Uh, it's, it's just uh, depending on whether the, uh, you know, the polarization of the light matches the material, whether it's, you know, horizontally or vertically polarized, it'll, it'll be affected. It'll see a different index of refraction. So, um, so, you know, the, so what we decided was the SMPS um, has two parts to it. One is what's called a particle filter. So it actually filters um, particles of different sizes and it scans. So it scans 
from let's say you know uh, 14 nanometers to 20 nanometers and so um, so what it does is it it actually will take you know a stream of polydispersed particles and it'll actually select out a certain bin a certain range of particles and uh, then it goes through a counter that then counts the particles in that bin uh, it's it's based on um, the electrical charge uh, it's the field strength that you use and then the particles move at a certain rate and so uh, depending on how fast they move through this thing there's a, a way to to direct the particles that move at a certain rate into a into a stream so so then what you do is um, then it goes through a counter that counts the number of particles that are in that bin. So what we did was we took and separated the two. Uh, it's actually done optically, but the problem is that the particles are so small that you can't actually detect them optically. So they actually use um, uh, um, alcohol uh, to, um, to grow the particles. And so the, the alcohol, uh, it, it is the gold standard of particle sizers. Yeah. So anyway, um, so what we did was we separated the two and then we took, uh, the filtered particles and we ran them through the pops. So now we know we're, we're getting particles of a certain size and we run them through the pops and then we look at the intensity of the scattering. And so we can actually calibrate. The growing happens in the counter. So we've separated the counter from the filter. And so, so, um, so from the filter, we run that through the pops and then the, and we're just calibrating the pops. So we're just trying to see, you know, we've also run polystyrene latex spheres through the pops to calibrate it as well. So then we have a pretty good characterization, but you know, polystyrene spheres have a different index of refraction and and they're also spherical versus sort of cubical particles from the calcite. So um, they have a different, you know, aerodynamics through the through the um, through the SMPS. And so um, anyway, so, you know, we've spent 12 years trying to learn how to measure particles that we can't see with, you know, your eye or a microscope. And uh, so, you know, we, we spent a good bit of time, you know, with the, you know, these particles by the manufacturer were, were sized using a setograph, and then we put them through a flow cytometer. And then uh, we've also measured them with POPs and SMPS. So, you know, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to measure particles. In any case, uh, what we do then is through our nozzle, we spray and we tried to spray into like a fume hood, but the fume hood, the, these measuring devices, they, they cannot handle a high density of particles. They need a fairly dilute um, source of particles. So when we tried to do it in a fume hood, we swamped the devices. So then what we did was we actually sprayed in the room that we were in. So we, what we do is we spray for, you know, a few seconds and the whole 
room gets cloudy, and then we uh, start the the equipment to um, to measure. And so when we do that, what we found was that um, uh, the particles that we measured from the pops were about 1.2 microns. So it's clear that they were, you know, um, uh, separated out, that they weren't clumped together anymore. Well, the point is the source material that we got wasn't at, its mode is not at 200 nanometers, right? But, um, but it does contain particles that are 200 nanometers. The things that we plot are the mass of, you know, of the particles. And if you're looking at particle sizes, you actually find that in the very small particle sizes, say at 200 nanometers, there's a lot of particles there, but, um, but you don't see them in the mass. Well, the mass goes as the cube, as the cube of the diameter, right? So then, uh, so that technique seemed to work. So that's part of, part one of the paper that we created. Well, all of the plots, all of the plots and the diagrams of our, our, our system are in the paper. Yeah, and so, um, so then, you know, the issue is that uh, when we did this, the mass ratio of the air to the carbonate was 6.3. Um, so you're putting a lot of air in to, to, you know, get, that's, that's mass ratio. And the problem is if you, if you're trying to do this in the stratosphere, where do you get all that air to, uh, separate out these particles? So, um, so the, um, Harvard people are doing this, um, test, uh, experiment called Scopex, right? Um, a stratospheric controlled perturbation experiment. And they're using a balloon to loft this up. So they're not going to be able to haul huge compressors up there. So we thought about, um, well, how do we get sort of a source of air up there? And uh, we thought, well, maybe we'd use liquid CO2. And uh, the advantage of liquid CO2 is that uh, it's liquid, so it has a very high density of basically air, and uh, it's pressurized. So then it could be used to uh, to drive this thing. It turns out that what we have is we have a pressurized vessel. Um, it's made out of stainless. And what we did was we put the calcium carbonate in this pressurized vessel, and then we put you know, solid dry ice in there. And as the thing pressurized and came to room temperature, it turned into liquid. So now we have liquid with calcium carbonate in there. These pressures, it's contained in there, right? So if you look at the uh, phase diagrams of this, uh, at room temperature, it'll be liquid. And uh, at room temperature, it's about 1,000 PSI. I mean, if you look at the, um, the hydrogen, the hydrogen, so, you know, we're talking about 1,000 PSI. But if you're looking at compressed hydrogen for cars, those are 10,000 PSI vessels, you know, made out of um, whatever, graphite. Uh, so the, there are vessels that can easily withstand these pressures. So um, the, the problem there is that if you take this up to the stratosphere, the stratosphere is actually at about minus 60 degrees C. And at that point, 
the, uh, the CO2 will turn into a solid at those temperatures. So you have to have a heater on your vessel um, when you launch this. But there's another restriction by, um, I don't know, the FAA or um, NASA or some agency saying that if you're doing a balloon experiment, you can't have pressures more than 1,000 PSI anyway. So what it turns out that by having this pressure vessel and the liquid CO2 in there and the calcium carbonate, if we put a stirring rod in there, and we, and, you know, a magnetic stirring rod, we can actually stir the material and create a suspension of calcium carbonate in the liquid CO2. It's a suspension in a liquid, right? So um, the carbon dioxide, um, we don't know, we don't actually know if they stick together in the, in the liquid CO2, but, um, you know, we have no way of looking inside the pressure vessel, but uh, we wanted to see if they would spray out, you know, and um, by stirring it, you know, we knew that, you know, we've, we've put these calcium carbonate things in water at room temperature, and we've been able to stir them, and they do, you know, suspend for, for some time. Eventually, they settle out, but uh, they... Um, so we thought we'd do the same thing in the liquid CO2. And uh, then we thought we'd put it through a two-fluid nozzle, um, our Schlick nozzle. And uh, um, actually, we, we thought we'd put it through our um, effervescent nozzle, our 200 micron nozzle. So we tried to put it through sort of a two-fluid nozzle. And then we realized that, hey, we've already got this pressurized gas. Um, what, what happens, though, is as you um, allow the CO2 to expand, it turns into, and we have this as an appendix in our paper, it turns into a two-phase material. It turns into gas and solid um, CO2. Um, and so the solid CO2 clogs our nozzle. We never said it was the ultimate solution. That's just what we did, and we reported on what we did. We had a successful result from both methods, and we just reported on the two methods we tried. You're, you're free or anybody's free. That's why we publish it. Anyone's free to, to modify it and, and, you know, improve it. Well, um, so, you know, if you were to do truly geoengineering, right, uh, the estimate is that you have to put... Um, uh, two million tons of sulfur in the stratosphere every year to achieve one degree, ne negative one degree Celsius uh, um, uh, radiative, radiative forcing. So you're talking about a tremendous amount of material. And so if you have to bring up the liquid CO2 or whatever other material, uh, it could be quite expensive to launch that. So the, the issue is that for the Scopex project, you're just trying to send up maybe a kilogram of material. For that experiment, you would you know send up maybe 10 kilograms of CO2 and uh, one kilogram of precipitated calcium carbonate, and that would basically be all you need. But that's not practical for a large-scale uh, um, 
geoengineering effort. In that case, you'd have to uh, send up some sort of, um, you know, plane that would then uh, take and create from the very thin atmosphere there, uh, or the you know exhaust of the of the jet engines or something, pressure that then would um, uh, blow apart through a two-fluid nozzle, the um, fluidized calcium carbonate. So it, it, you know, one is for a small, and we talk about this in the paper, one technique is for a small-scale experiment, and the other technique is for production. Yeah, we have no future plans for this precipitated calcium carbonate. We're back working on our um, uh, salt spray, the cloud condensation nuclei. So one of the things that we've been focused on is creating monodisperse particles. There's a um, scientific purpose for that. So what happens is volcanoes, when they emit sulfur into the stratosphere, it's uncontrolled. You, don't, you have no control of the volume or the uh, sizes. So if we can create a technique that delivers a very specific amount of material at a very specific size, then atmospheric scientists can look at how those particles evolve, how they eventually re-agglomerate or coalesce. Well, aer aerosols are the biggest sort of uncertainty in radiative forcing calculations. So, so we really need to get a handle on the effects of aerosols and uh, so we've always looked at this as, and we're 12 years in and we don't, you know, for the marine cloud brightening, we still, we have not done a, uh, a, a field test. We've only been in the lab for 12 years. So um, we're just trying to understand how to measure particles. Uh, part, of it's fund part of it's funding, but you know, the Scopex people, so they were gonna do an experiment this year but they ran into some uh, opposition. So now I think what they're gonna do, so I think what they're gonna do now is they're just going to uh, not spray anything, but they're gonna take everything up there and prove that they can to maneuver a plane. So the nozzle that we developed for um, the sea salt marine cloud brightening has been adopted by a team in Australia that has done a field experiment. I'm doing it for my kid. Um, I haven't been paid one cent in the 12, in the whatever, um, eight years, nine years that I've been involved with this project. Um, and so, in fact, you know, before we got affiliated with PARC, we were affiliated with the University of Washington. So the precipitated calcium carbonate was never funded by anybody. That was our own uh, funding. We're in Silicon Valley and we found some space in a lab that nobody was using. Uh, and so we were working there. The head of this group, Armand Nukermans, he's been self-funding all of, you know, whenever we have to buy equipment, he pays for it out of his own pocket. He is a, he is a serial entrepreneur. He has uh, founded several companies and, uh, you know, um, 
but he's a brilliant physicist. Absolutely. I'm not a physicist, but we have absolutely brilliant people on this project that are retired scientists and engineers that are just volunteering on this project. Well, the thing that people don't understand is we've been at this for 12 years and it's practically taken us nine years to learn how to measure particles of this size accurately. And so the amount of science that is required to make this thing, you know, um, solid and, uh, and um, well modeled is tremendous. And, you know, we're running out of time. So in the 12 years, had we not started 12 years ago, we'd be 12 years behind. So, um, and, and you can see with the floods in Europe and the wildfires in California and Oregon. Uh, so now that we're at Park, um, there is um, some money coming through. Um, I don't know if you know Kelly Wanzer. Well, so she's been raising money. And so there's finally some federal money. And uh, there's, uh, um, you know, there's, there's finally some money going into geoengineering, but it's, you know, uh, carbon removal, it's carbon sequestration, it's stratos stratospheric aerosols, you know, we're starting to get a little bit of money um, through, through her efforts and through the federal efforts, but uh, um, certainly not enough money to go do a field experiment.